Once again tonight, I want to open with Psalms 78. That will be our starting place. In the Israelite nation, God warned the people repeatedly about what could be called generational apostasy, meaning mom and dad are faithful. The children may not have the same level of commitment. The grandchildren may have no commitment. That is often what happens, though, of course, it isn't just locked in. Individual choice can intervene. Over and over, this generational apostasy came to pass in Israel's history, and so warnings were given, teach your children well. Tell them, show them, pray for them. Here's the way this is all expressed in Psalm 78, 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the word, works of God, but keep his commandments. So this morning I addressed spiritual legacy from the book of Psalms. Parents sometimes reflect, am I doing everything I can? Grandparents, are we doing all we are able to do within the framework of grandparenting? To teach and influence the next generation. Then Christians in general, elders and preachers and Bible teachers, we ponder the obligation to tell the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. It says here, this is a purpose phrase, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments. And so, Today, this morning, and again tonight, I want to talk to us about the challenge to train and equip the next generation. This morning, it was from Psalms. This evening, from Proverbs. <clears throat> and I have four passages queued up from Proverbs. We can read to our children and grandchildren and young people in general toward whom we have influence for their general welfare, spiritual legacy. The book of Proverbs is in some ways like text messages, but on a much higher level. Brief, concise statements about choice. Love or hate, 
anger or discipline, hope or despair, lying or telling the truth, wise or foolish. Wise choices will watch over you, understanding will keep you safe. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 11. So now, passages from Proverbs we can read to our children, our grandchildren, to younger people toward whom we have influence. Turn please to Proverbs chapter 1. Chapter 1, while I introduce the first point. Parents often say to children, and especially as they become accountable, don't go along with evildoers. In your life, evildoers will invite you to do evil. Resist those evildoers. And that's good. Parents ought to instruct their children such as that. General, don't do wrong. Now, we want to frame those conversations so that young people understand. We want to give them narratives. So this warning is not just for their earthly safety, it's for the will of the Creator and His glory. We want to frame these warnings inside narratives as they become accountable. No matter how attractive the invitation, no matter how one might want to please peers, no matter the promises that may be offered, when those common temptations come and are brought into your mind, we say to children, you should have already decided that you will not go along. Now, we frame these warnings inside narratives. And that's what God does through Solomon in Proverbs 1. Verses 1 through 19. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now here's the narrative framework. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. 
we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet <coughs> run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. I want you to see parents and grandparents and those who have influence toward youth that this isn't a theological essay. This isn't something hypothetical. This isn't a study in academics. This is a narrative. This is something that happens all the time and the idea here is to help people get ready. And they can hear this. And then they can hear you say, and what God says, says, do not consent. Notice some of the elements of this invitation to do wrong. Lying in wait for blood. That's the wicked who lack respect for human life. No regard for another person or injury or death. In this narrative, there's ambush. Ambush, let us strike out and be deceitful. That's a criminal design. And then there's the promise from the evildoers. We shall all find precious goods. That's an invitation to steal. Plundering, fill your pockets and your house from what you've taken from another's pockets or house. And then in that narrative, that invitation, there's the team effort. Verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. Sure. So you have a simple narrative of a common temptation. You can read to your children and grandchildren and then you can say, don't go with them, don't do that. We are familiar with gangs. And that fits the profile of this, this template in Proverbs 1. Being enticed or recruited and pressured and compelled with an invitation to do violence. And a promise of gain in the team effort. Teach your children well. Read this to your grandchildren. It will not require extended commentary. When kids hear this, they will see what this is about. We can warn them, not just for their safety, but to know wisdom, to understand insight, and to fear the Lord. So don't do it. Hold back your feet from their path. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Reading Proverbs to young people. Let's consider something we talk to young people about that could be called teamwork. 
teamwork in the bad sense in Proverbs 1. Teamwork in the good sense in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. I'll introduce it and read it in just a moment. I mentioned this morning the affection and the interest that children seem to naturally have in animals and insects. Let's build on that. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, read this for yourself, picture what is described, and then bring this up with your children and grandchildren and young people that you have influence toward. Again, I'm going to say there's no deep academic work here. There's no extended expository essay or commentary. When you read this, the words will form a picture in your mind and they will form pictures in the minds of children and grandchildren. And that'll be for their benefit when they see teamwork as God intends it. When I was a boy in toy stores, hardware stores, pet stores, and sometimes clothing stores, you could buy for your kids ant farms. A plastic case you would set upright on the table with sand visible through the screen. I had one. I don't remember if the ants came with the set or you had to harvest your own from the yard. But it was fun to put those ants in that encasement and watch them run around and build tunnels and form lines. It may not have been too fun for the ants, but it was for the kids to look at that stuff uh, until the farm and the fun ran out and the art fam, uh, ant farm opened up and then moms would get all worked up. Why not use the child curiosity about animals and insects as a teaching tool for the highest possible result? Read this to your children. Say to your child, let's watch the ant. And what does this teach that you want to teach your children? Industry. That's energy applied. Hard work with good purpose. For survival. It teaches teamwork, working together, unity, cooperation with others, doing your part with others who do their part with a good result. It teaches perseverance. You can't stop or give up in the middle of the job. 
You can't take breaks that hinder the objective of the work. It teaches against laziness. I've never seen an ant in a recliner watching other ants do the work. And I've often said about this passage and others like it, it may be true, it may be true that insects have a greater work ethic than many humans. Ants didn't sit in a lounger waiting for others to do the work. Ants didn't sink into the sofa with their iPhone and video games waiting for mom and dad to do the chores. Ants don't make excuses or wait for unearned money and bread to flow in. Ants don't get unemployment payments or stimulus checks. Ants illustrate teamwork, applied energy, perseverance to be fed, to survive. Why not use this rich biblical imagery to teach the next generation the simple lessons of life as God intends it to be? Don't even need to buy the ant farm. Okay, when teen, teenagers arrive in their time, we all know what kind of dangers young folks face. And sometimes we have to have very difficult but clear conversations. Drinking, drugs, drunkenness. Proverbs 23, that's where I'm going to be in just a moment. The liquor industry and the beer industry makes drinks look attractive. And drinking look perfectly glamorous, delicious, and popular. And you would think watching liquor industry commercials... That everybody does it. The liquor industry never shows anyone a picture of vomit. Wrecked cars. Ruined marriages. Hurt children. And I tell you this. Our government supports the liquor industry. In many different ways. I've never heard of proposed legislation to require background checks before buying a case of Kentucky bourbon. Alcohol kills more people every year than guns and knives. Nothing about legislation to control the availability of alcohol. Our government supports the liquor industry, not just in their consumption, but in ignoring the death and damage that results. God, through Solomon, did not hesitate to paint the dramatic picture of the result of intoxication. 
I want you to listen to Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed drink, mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I, I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Can you imagine someone on their way home from work having the thought, I need to stop by the convenience store and I've got a list here of things I want to buy. I want to buy some woe, sorrow, strife, wounds, and redness of eyes. What does God want us to know and what does God want us to tell young people about intoxication? Well, it's here in Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. It is not a lengthy debate about abstinence. It is not a lengthy essay about intoxication. It is not a study of government requirements in regard to when intoxication occurs. This is dramatic narrative that's easy to read. And teenagers can understand it. Maybe before they become teenagers, they need to hear this. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. One of my favorite writers who is not a biblical writer. I read a lot of things uh, and one of my favorite writers is a man named Malcolm Gladwell. And Mr. Gladwell is not writing from a biblical perspective. He's writing from reality. And he says alcohol is a powerful drug. It disinhibits. I love that word. It disinhibits. It breaks down the set of constraints that hold our behavior in check. That's why it doesn't seem surprising that drunkenness is so overwhelmingly linked with violence, car accidents, and sexual assault. We need to read to children, grandchildren, and young people from Psalms and Proverbs these vivid, easy-to-understand narratives from God. One more, be opening to 
Proverbs 31. I know you're familiar with this. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Now let me say this. Most often we read this passage at a funeral on the occasion of a death of a godly woman. I've done that. I certainly get that. And I think we need to continue that. I'm not suggesting that preachers or those who speak at funerals stop that. But I think there is a theme here in Proverbs 31 that is larger than just the female gender. And the theme is active goodness that ought to be expressed by males and females. But here the narrative is the female. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. That's active goodness. It's not goodness just at the thought level. 
It's not goodness just as an element or component of knowledge. It's active goodness. In Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Read that to your kids and grandkids. Let's circle back to where we started. In Psalms 78. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And it says, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Spiritual legacy. We worry about the next generation. And that's been the way of older generations for a long time. What's going to happen to the young people after me? The children, the grandchildren, the next generation. Let's take that mental energy that's worry and turn that toward action and reaction. Concern, worried, read scripture to the next generation from Psalms and Proverbs and everything in between, everything before and after, tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Let's be standing while we sing. Pathway of duty.